Hi, I'm Rosie. And I'm Emma. And this is Metier. This episode, we talked to Valerie Venzale. We went to her office at the edge of the Olympic Park in East London to talk to her about her job. Uh, we had a lot of fun traipsing around a, um, a building site in High Vis, Hard Hat, a lot of PPE going on. Love a bit of that. And we uh, annoyed her in her office. We <laughs> didn't annoy her, they loved us. Um, <laughs> yeah, just discovered more about what, um, how she spends her days. Okay, so, should we start? Yeah. It's Valley, easy, easy thing to start with. Can you introduce yourself, please? Oh, God, that's not so easy. <laughs> I'm Valley Van Zyl, and I'm the regeneration manager, placemaking manager here at um, Strand East for Vestant. How would I describe my role? It's varied. <laughs> Um, which is great and which is what I, I love about it. I guess I, I started here five years ago um, and I was the first employee on, in the UK for a European-based, uh, Brussels-based company. And so basically did whatever needed to be done. But the main role was to be involved in submitting a large planning application for 10 hectare site to the London Thames Gateway Development Corporation, which was the planning authority. So I guess a key part of my role was um, what's known as the environmental impact assessment and working with consultants to pull that together and really getting to know the site and understand it um, and how it connected with the surrounding area, the community, the places, the people, and really put a sense of um, the local area into the planning application rather than just come in and decide to start from a blank sheet of canvas. And can you describe what area are we in? Can you, can you talk about maybe yep. that? Yeah, we're in the London Borough of Newham, very close to the boundary with Tower Hamlets. So it's East London, very much East London. And we, the site sits between two rivers, the River Lee Navigation and the Three Mills Wall River. So it's just south of the Olympic Park, um, where London 2012 Olympics and Paralympics took place. And who, who, do you, who do you work for? What's the company? I work for a company called Vastant, which is part of Inter-IKEA, a sister company to IKEA. But we're not building any furniture stores here. We're, Inter-IKEA is, a property, is an investment company and Vastant is a property subsidiary. And we develop mixed-use sites across Europe. We have sister companies in Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany maybe some others, those are the main ones. And this is our first project in the UK. So it's 1,200 homes, 58,000 square metres of offices, creative workspaces, some retail, some community space, and, um, and a 350-bed hotel. And something that I've been involved in in more detail more recently is the public realm. So looking at really the spaces between the buildings. Um, which is what interests me. And what is, what, what is your role unique within the company? Or Yeah, no, there isn't another regeneration manager or placemaking manager in, in Vastant, and um, they struggle to put me in a box, and they've called me an engineer, and now they call me a project manager because they don't really know where to, where to put me. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about that, about how you evolved into this role that doesn't fit in easily into a box. Mm-hmm. That sounds interesting. 
I guess my, well, I was thinking about this and um, I'll go back to um, when I finished university and I studied geography at university, having tried and failed to um, do something a bit more ambitious like chemical engineering. And I resorted to geography, which was my interest in people and places and how they interact with their physical and social environment. And I did a postgraduate um, degree in South Africa looking at development studies and probably if I hadn't landed up in this kind of role I would have probably been working in international development um, following my son who's probably going to end up there. <laughs> but I came to the UK in 1980, well I left South Africa in 1986, came here in 87. I'd worked in South Africa in a bank and knew that was not what I wanted to do. So left South Africa, not just um, for political reasons, but also I thought an opportunity to see what else I might do with my life. Um, and came to, well, spent some time in Iceland and Israel uh, with my husband, um, and we then settled in the UK. And having been very much an outdoors people person, people couldn't believe we were living in London, but I think London is what's shaped what I do. Um, so I first spent some time, um, my first job was with Milton Keynes Development Corporation doing um, population projections. It was not very exciting, but it was the first job in the UK. And I then got asked to join um, the House Builders Federation, which is an umbrella organization for housing developers because they needed somebody to look at social housing. I didn't know very much about social housing, but nobody did at that stage. Um, Maggie Thatcher had kind of brought an end to council housing and was shifting the whole delivery of social housing to housing associations. And house builders were going to be required to include an element of affordable housing in their schemes. So they need to know what this meant and what it did. So I joined them and had a fantastic um, education in British politics, planning, rural, urban divides, north-south divides from a really inspiring um, guy who was the director of the House Builders Federation. Um, and then realised I wanted to work in social housing. So for the next 20 years of my life, roughly, I worked in social housing for um, the National Housing Federation on a policy, on policy aspects of housing, particularly shared ownership, which is part rent part by and very much of the moment now, given London's affordability crisis. Um, and then I worked for housing associations for two, for two decades almost, um, looking at regeneration projects. But got, always got rather frustrated because when I tried to look at the wider aspects of the place of the community and how we could work with the school or bring in a GP, was told to concentrate on the affordable housing. Um, and then I got involved with the developer on this project, the previous developer, who was buying up small parcels of land and needed a housing association partner. So we became that and I worked quite closely on the planning application but realised it wasn't going anywhere when the financial crash happened in 2007, 2008. The developer went bust. The banks took over the land and tried to sell it. So another housing association colleague and myself, together with some um, public sector bodies, tried to put together a bid to 
by the site or work with the banks to develop it out. But at that time, um, Landprop, which is the predecessor of Vastant Interakia's property company in the UK, came over looking to buy land in the UK and saw this site and, like me, fell in love with it and decided this was the site they wanted. Um, and I met with them on a couple of occasions and then approached them to come and work with them on the project. And five years later, I'm, I'm still here and starting to see things happen. Buildings are coming down, new river walls are going up. You mentioned about falling in love with this site. Mm. What, what is it that you, that you love about, 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 about it? Uh, I love water and um, one of my um, dreams is to try and make more of the, more of the water location of the site. Um, one of the things I was looking to do in Dane's yard was to bring in some pontoons so boats could moor the floating cinema, the second-hand book boat, and we could... I was talking to others up the River Lee looking at some kind of a programme where is the first Saturday of the month the book boat would be here, the second Saturday it would be at Hackney Wick, and I still would love to do that. But and you can see outside where the river walls are going up, we need a 5.5 metre, okay, above um, sea level. So it's about three, two or three metres above the river that we have to have these flood defences. So often you don't even know that the water is there. Um, but on the western side of the site, part of the public realm um, designs that we've worked on is actually taking the landscape down to the water and a whole linear park of about three quarters of a hectare. And um, remember working with our landscape architect, and they brought a new landscape architect onto the project. And we were working towards putting this, the planning submission in for the public realm back in May last year. And he turned to me after one day full of meetings, and he said to me, Valley, I've realized you're really passionate about this park. <laughs> so I think, so you're, you're, to answer your question, what, I think it's, it's potential. A, which the water is part of that, but also I think about being in East London. Where do you get your ideas and inspiration from? I mean, I think it's a big part of it is working with, with interesting people. Um, one really inspirational person I worked with was a landscape architect from Spain, um, Teresa Galli Izzard. And we selected her after a trawl on the internet to look at interesting public realm landscape projects around the world. The beauty of working for a European company is they encourage you to look beyond the UK and work with other consultants, contractors, designers beyond um, the boundaries of the UK. So we found the Spanish architect who is actually professor of landscape design or something similar at the University of Richmond in Virginia, or Charlottesville, yeah, Charlottesville, I think, in, in um, Virginia. And um, we got her over to work with us, and she just approached the site. She really got under its skin and understood its drainage, where the sun was, what 
the plants were and looked at the material of the buildings on the site, even though she knew those buildings were going. But that was she took that as her her inspiration to look at how that might be translated, almost the buildings becoming the landscape, the old buildings becoming the landscape, because a lot of the buildings were really in, in not a fit state to retain. So we can reflect that history of the build, or history of the site um, in the landscape. And so working with somebody like her is, is really inspirational and has made me realize my passion for placemaking, for making a place where people want to want to be. Could, could you talk about that a bit, maybe, like, so placemaking, mm -hmm. what, um, what, what is that? How would you describe that? I guess it's a name that I didn't realize was there and what was what I was doing. <laughs> um, and I mean, I guess it's a, a placemaking is about creating a place that works, where people want to gather, where people can come and do a number of things and feel comfortable and feel some ownership of that place. Um, it kind of came home to me just after we'd completed this building that we're in now, which was the first building, an old warehouse that we refurbished. And um, I can't say we refurbished, but we transformed an old industrial yard into a public open space outside in a restaurant bar on the ground floor. And soon after that was completed, I organized um, a table tennis competition and chatting to one of the residents who lived in the apartments across the road. She came up to me and she said, you've made me love where I live. She said, before this, before you created this space, there was nothing here. And I thought, that's, that's why I do my job. How do you go about making something happen in your day-to-day -day role? I think a key part of it is, is once again, um, working with other people and exploring ideas I might have with others who might challenge it or reinforce it. So I really enjoy sharing ideas and bouncing ideas off people um, to take them forward and explore how, how things might work. I would imagine that you're sometimes coming into the office on a Monday morning having had some great ideas over the weekend because of things that you've been doing. Do you find, how, how, how does that work? Or do you, I mean, you, do you find you have to come in and convince people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of it is about convincing people. And I think also about choosing the ideas that I think are worth pursuing. And, and also knowing that when people say no, don't give up. <laughs> Wait for the right time or come at it at a different angle. Um, back to my love of water and the moorings. One of the things I've been looking at and inspired by um, and the ideas of what, what's happening elsewhere is to bring a floating pool to, to the River Lee um, just by experience of going to wonderful places, Copenhagen, Malmo, other cities where they actually embrace their water. And yes, the River Lee, I just was looking at a leaflet before you arrived, was probably the, well, maybe not now, but is one of the dirtiest rivers in the UK. And um, I'm hoping that by the time I retire, we'll be able to swim in it. But if not, um, I have this idea to have a floating pool on the River Lee. And recently met up with a guy who's even more ambitious than me. 
And not that I'm that ambitious, a little floating pool in the River Lee. Well, it'll, it'll take a lot of effort to get there. But this guy, um, a guy called Chris Romilly, is spearheading um, a project called Thames Baths to bring floating pools to the Thames. Um, and he is, he's inspirational, and just talking to him and exploring what, how the lessons he's learned on the work he's been doing for his Thames Baths, um, he did a little feasibility for, study for me to look at how we could... Uh, it's similar to the project, have either of you been to King's Cross recently and they've got this pop-up pool? Have you swum in the pool? Oh, you have to swim in the pool. It's the most surreal experience that you're swimming in this raised pool surrounded by water lilies and reeds which filter the water and you feel as though you're swimming in river water and then there's construction site all around you. It's... It's fantastic. So you have to you have to do that. That's that's the, that's where I get my inspiration from experiences like that. And so, where does your satisfaction come from? Well, my satisfaction comes from examples like somebody saying to me, "They love where they live because of what we've done." Um, but I also enjoy just exploring those ideas. Oh, wow, what satisfaction I'd have if we actually did get a floating pool. But I, I have to get some satisfaction from just knowing that I've tried, knowing that I've explored and I've looked at what's possible. If just a little bit of it happens. I mean, one of the things we're looking at as well down um, on the southern tip of the site, which is where the rivers meet effectively, on the tidal area opposite the, the historic mill buildings, is looking at a wonderful open space and one of my favourite open spaces in London is Granary Square at King's Cross and they have these fountains and I go there every now and then and whether it's November at four o'clock in the afternoon or last week at about lunchtime there are kids from 18 months to 18 and beyond running around in these fountains playing in these fountains I thought to bring the river in and the water onto our site. So we're looking at something similar and the satisfaction of actually seeing that happen would be amazing. Um, so this is kind of your first big, huge development. So have you have there been any other um, spaces that you've developed in, in the past or is this really the first one you've been able to get, get your hands on properly? Yeah, this is the first one that where I can have a role in a wide array of things. So at East Thames, um, where I was in the mid-late 90s, um, my role there was looking at foyer projects. Foyers were projects for disadvantaged young people who had nowhere to live but also needed the help and the support that those of us who are lucky enough to live with that support in our families didn't have. And so foyers were projects where they'd get a studio apartment, but also would get the support to find a job, to open a bank account, to find a GP. Um, and I worked on those projects and the satisfaction of seeing those buildings and meeting the young people who actually benefited from. But unfortunately, those projects are now, now closing, thanks to our friend George Osborne. And the welfare reform and housing associations are no longer getting the funding to provide that additional support, and they're having to Pro close these projects. Um, so much for my legacy. Is that something that you can bring in? Do you have the remit to bring that into these kind no. of things? No, it's no. too. No, I am. I mean, one of the aspects I am looking at here is the affordable housing. Given my background, it was obvious. I mean, they were rather worried when it 
worked out in terms of the financial feasibility you have to do for a project like this when you submit a planning application. Um, what, it, what doesn't seem to be very well understood is when you do that financial um, feasibility, people demand bridges and bus routes and 120-year river walls, and all of that goes into the financial pot. And the only thing that gets squeezed is the affordable housing. So we have a small amount of affordable housing here, but when you look at what else we're providing, it's what it could bear, and that's how it works. And so people were worried that this would be difficult for me, but that's the reality of it. You know, if there was more to ensure that more affordable housing was provided, and that funding for buses or elsewhere had to come from somewhere else rather than the developer, you know, something's got to give. Um, so I am working on the affordable housing here and have taken a stand which so far I've um, managed to um, keep going is that we won't put all the affordable housing in one corner of the site and I'm passionate about that. I've seen it in too many sites like this where you end up creating more problems that if you paper pot, you spread the affordable housing so people can get to know their neighbour and the young kids in the affordable housing can talk to the people going off to work, learn about their careers, learn about the opportunities out there. Um, so I'm passionate about integrating the affordable housing and so far that's where we're going. So that's in that small contribution I'm hoping that I can bring those that experience to this project. How long is it until the first family will be moving into a house on this site? The first family will probably be moving in in three years' time. And so how long is that from, from when you started working on it to completion? Mm -hmm. um, well, so I started in 2011, so it'll be nine years <laughs> when the first family moves in. But hopefully the first workspaces other than ours will be open in just over a year so just over 2017 we'll have first buildings around us here where you can see all this the work happening the, the first buildings aimed at creative industries um, are going to be built long long term yeah these are long-term complex projects what kind of organizations do you think will be in those creative workspaces it's a difficult one because we're not building new buildings and refurbishing buildings. We can't, we can't compete, if that's the word, with the low rents of the warehouses and spaces in Hackneywick. So it's a, I think we see it as almost the next step up for those types of businesses where they're now looking to establish themselves. So craftspeople, we've got some... Tenants on site now have music-related businesses. We're looking to see timing-wise, which is, has become a bit of a problem as to when we start and when they need to leave, looking to, to see whether they can come into those businesses. But otherwise, you know, fairly broad, but ideally have, have, a, rain, have a variety, have a real vibrancy. Um, one of my inspirations and re only recently discovered, I hate to admit, is um, the work of Jane Jacobs, um, Death and Life of American Cities. And she has this wonderful piece about a sidewalk ballet 
of her neighborhood in New York with the restaurants and then the flower shop and then the kids coming home from school and how the life changed depending on who was coming and going in the streets. And that's what I'd love to see here. That's a beautiful image. I like that. It might be nice to kind of contextualize, like what, what does your week look like? Who, who, do you, who do you spend your days talking to? Okay. This week, well, where are we today? Tuesday. Yesterday was meeting with the managing director and other senior people from the energy company that we're negotiating with to bring um, heat to the, to the site or build our own energy centre. So it was exploring their commercial offer as well as the practicalities of getting to our site, etc. So it was quite a high-level meeting looking at those, those commercial issues, but also one of the things that we're discussing is the tariffs. What do we charge our residents, which is where I come in and looking at you making sure that we're not going to create an unaffordable place in terms of the utilities and the energy and power that um, we charge our residents, but also looking at the whole process of what are the options and recommending to, to colleagues how we move this forward. So dealing with energy companies to this evening, I've got a meeting with Three Mills Mooring Association, which is the association of the people who live on the community on the narrowboats. Um, a number of issues, they are our closest neighbours. And we have a laundry for them on site together with some car parking, bicycle storage, coal storage, because a lot of them use coal as their primary source of heating. And all of this has been on site, on, and now the site is being demolished and remediated, and we've got temporary provision for them in a number of places. Um, but long term, one of the solutions we're looking at is creating a floating laundry and we've, I've been working with an architect and pontoon engineer to work out, because not only have we got to build the structure and design the structure, one of the key features is that it's floating. So we have to look at the weight and the freeboard, how much it sits above the water, does it reach the ground? If, if people use their coal, is this going to tip over? So we've had to, be, had to work with the, an engineer, in fact, from our River Walls company, he's been fantastic, and he's been giving input into that aspect of it. And so we've got a meeting with them to present the designs of this floating facility, together with um, the planning officer and design officer from the LLDC will be at that meeting as well. And as part of that process, Canal and River Trust, as well as other stakeholders, have been a key consultee. Um, and they objected to it because of some water levels in the in the river affecting flood, and there's a weir in the water. So I've had to um, try and get my head around the hydrology of this place because I couldn't believe that this was an issue. We got a hydrologist on board who did a bit of modelling. We put it to the Canal and River Trust. They have no further objection. So from hydrologists to <laughs> other engineers, and then later this week, we're selecting an advisor to help us select a school. So we're looking at a school, a primary school on site. Um, but new schools now all need to be free schools. So we can't go to Newham. Well, we do, we will, and we have been speaking to them, and they welcome a school on this site, but they have no funding to do it. And given the latest white paper, 
it won't be a Newham school e anyway. So we, ha we have to find a, an academy trust to build a school and we want to find one that has the same ethos as us and understands what we want, what we're doing here at the site and that the school will be not just for the school children from the site and elsewhere, but it'll be at the heart of the community. There'll be a sports hall that people can rent on the weekend and evenings and meeting spaces, etc. So later this week, um, we're selecting somebody to help us with schools because yes, I've had children at schools, but when we sit in front of these trusts and are trying to make sure we get the right one, I want somebody alongside me who's asking the right questions and understanding the answers. So, yeah, school consultants, I didn't even know there was such a thing, but <laughs> so a whole range of people in my week. A lot of your job seems to be about making sure that you're as well informed as you can be in finding the right people mm. to talk to, mm. which... Um, yeah, because I think people realise, I mean, I, I'm a generalist, um, and not necessarily going to have all the information, but can go and find the people who can, who can work with me. What kind of things, um, I mean, not to focus on the negative because it's mm. not kind of the, what the, mm. we want to do, but I suppose if you're confronting a difficult situation at work, how do you, how do you broach it and how do you resolve? I think it's, it's about discussing it with others who might have a different view, um, but also about thinking about the person perhaps that I'm dealing with and how they might approach it and looking at different ways to, to come at it because... I guess one of the things I'm criticised for is not being commercial enough <laughs> in a commercial company. Um, I guess somebody once um, referred to me as the conscience of the organisation, or and somebody else the glue. Um, so I, I guess it's about understanding where others are coming from, and often when I'm battling to persuade people to do something that I'd like to do, it's about thinking how it can... Um, have the commercial value of what I'm trying to do and be creative about that. How lovely to be referred to as the conscience and the glue. <laughs> I just, I, that's such a, that's a really nice image and I'm glad people have shared that with you to make you feel yeah. like that. It's great. It's such a diplomatic answer as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the audiences for this film might be people who are facing a crossroad in their own career, in their own life. Um, can you think back to when some, you felt like that and tell us a bit about that situation and, and how you... Um... Yeah, I guess it was when I took the step from my career in affordable social housing, mainly with housing associations, um, to come to, to this job to work for a property developer and people said to me, yes, Valley, you've gone over to the dark side or you've sold your soul. But... Um, Working for housing associations, I really enjoyed. It felt that's where I was meant to be. But when I left university, did I know that that's what I was going to do? I didn't have a clue. Um, but then working in housing associations, it was 2010, 2011, when I started to see this as an opportunity. And... I mean, I think it was the right time in my career to move, not least because housing associations were becoming more strapped for cash. The big regeneration projects I was working on were not really happening. Um, and I saw this opportunity and 
as I've said, was really to look at doing more than the affordable housing, to look at what else I could do to create these neighbourhoods that could work and that people wanted to live in. And, I mean, it wasn't a major decision. It was almost an obvious move for me to, to go on. I mean, still today I think, well, well what am I going to do next? <laughs> um, my children, who are both in their 20s, often saying, you know, well, they don't know what they want to do with their lives. I say, no, well, nor do I. <laughs> You're 54. <laughs> so I think there may still be something else that I can do out there. I don't know what it is. And I'm not somebody who plans what I do. It's more of a serendipity. Thank you so much to Valley for being open and honest about her work. Make sure you watch the accompanying short film at metierproject.org where we go on site with Valley in Stratford to see her vision taking shape. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Metier Project. Let us know what you think of our chapter so far and any recommendations you might have for future Metier subjects. Until next month, stay kind, courageous and curious.